How's it going, everyone? Joe Gagne here. We'll bring you to edition number 10 of Joe vs. the World. It's MMA week, and who better to have on than my current guest? He's the author of The Half-Guarded Truth at F4WOnline.com, a frequent guest on Figure Four Daily, and now he has his own radio show, Five Star Radio. It's Mr. Michael Coughlin. Mike, how you doing? I'm not too bad, Joe. I really appreciate the introduction there, but I can tell you right now I can think of about 500 people that are more appropriate to have than me for any discussion on mixed martial arts. Well, there's about 10,000 people who should be hosting their own radio show on mixed martial arts instead of me, so I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah, I guess that kind of evens out to, uh, I don't know the math on that, but I'm sure it worked out. Yeah, so uh, how'd you get into MMA? Uh, you know, it's I, I grew up my whole life just a pro wrestling fan, like a lot of kids. Um, then somewhere in high school, like around my senior year of high school, so whether that be about six, seven years ago, something like that, um, I saw a tape of Sakuraba fighting, and I had seen a little uh, UFC before. I'd seen mixed martial arts in the past, but I wasn't really overly impressed. I, uh, I think the one fight I really saw that stuck out in my mind was Ken Shamrock versus Royce Gracie, and to the uninitiated, that's just a really boring fight. And to those that know the sport, it's a really boring fight. So that kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. I thought, this cage fighting crap is retarded. So one day I saw Sakuraba fighting, and it changed everything. I didn't understand. I couldn't believe that you could do this kind of stuff in a fight. This guy's crazy. He's jumping around. He's doing flying, spinning kicks. He's uh, doing these crazy arm bars. And I fell in love with it from that moment forward. And I just kind of went with it from there and... Now I absolutely love the sport. Yeah, for me, it was a little bit different. I uh, subscribed to the Wrestling Observer for years, and there would be a UFC and Pride news section. I really had no interest in that when I first started subscribing, but I would always read those sections anyway because I, I have this mentality that I paid for it, so I should read it. And I, I kind of picked up on what was going on. I you know I could probably pass a current events quiz. And, uh, you know, just you know, with all these free things, I you know, started checking it out. And I'm not, I'm hardly a diehard fan, but uh, I'm starting to get into it. And um, it's a pretty good, darn good time to get into it. With uh, There's been quite a bit going on. Yeah, this is, uh, clearly this is uh, mixed martial arts boom period right here in the United States. This is whatever the WWE was in the late 90s. That's what the UFC is right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to ask you the most pressing question I can think of right now is, did you watch Blade the series on Spike TV? I watched five minutes, but I left my VCR on, and I actually recorded it, and I uh, intend to watch it later tonight for some reason. I don't really know why. I'm a bit of a comic book nerd, so that probably factors into it a little bit. But uh, from what I saw, it looked like it was just tremendously crappy television. <laughs> it, Are you saying like... um, a guy named Sticky, vampire sexuality, and uh, Chuck Liddell acting uh, do not make quality television? Well, on paper, that sounds like a recipe for greatness. <laughs> I, I think that, that is just tremendous television right there. If somebody told Mike we're going to have... Sexy vampires, Sticky Jones, and Chuck Liddell, I would say, dude, you've got a hit. But I just don't know if it's going to work. I think that just like you, sometimes you can have great workers in the ring and they don't have a, have a great match. Maybe that's just, maybe that's a case of Blade. Uh, that, that may be. Um, I know you have to make sacrifices to be on, on, on TV sometimes, and I, I guess it could have been much worse, but boy, was that just really bad at points over the past two shows. Well, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, the guys are on TV and there's, Nobody makes bad money on TV, I don't mm. think. Even on crappy cable networks that cater to lonely men, you still make pretty decent money on TV. So, And I'm, I'm pretty sure Chuck Liddell would prefer fake fighting any day of the week to real fighting because he's not getting hit and he's going to make money. So you can't beat that. There you go. Well, we had two big uh, UFC shows within five days of each other. Uh, let's go back to Saturday's Ultimate Fighter finale. What did you think of the show overall? Uh, I was really impressed with the show. I, uh, I didn't watch it live, so many of the complaints people have registered about some of the delays which have been common in the past every one of these 
Ultimate Fighter finales, I believe they're always going to have the longer introductions and the back pieces and all that. But I, so I skipped a lot of that. But the fights were tremendous. What can you say? Any show that has an Ed Herman versus Kendall Grove, which is just one of those fights where you got two guys who are just skilled enough to hurt people but not skilled enough to defend really all that well, and both of them just wanted it so bad. It's a recipe for greatness. And I'm surprised. And after I watched the fight, my brother hadn't seen the fight. And I, I looked to him and I go, Brian, whatever religion Dana White practices, that's what we're going to join. We're going to give up being this Catholic crap. This Christian stuff is not working at all. The Jews seem to have problems all over the world. The Muslims don't know what they're doing. Whatever Dana White worships, that's what I'm going for. Because this man has yet to have an Ultimate Fighter series finale that did not have a memorable fight. It's pure gold. You shouldn't be able to do this. It's a real fighting. It's a, it's a shoot environment. Pro wrestling can't do this. You, Vince McMahon couldn't book shows where every time he needed to, he'd have a great match. For whatever reason, WWE can't do that, but Dana White can do it, so more props to him. He's got God on the side right now, so I'm not arguing with Dana. Yeah, this, this was a hell of a show, and I also watched it on, um, I taped the Monday replay and uh, made my way through it. Leaned on the fast-forward button quite a bit through all the frequent commercials and uh, Blade appearances, but uh, let's go over the card real quick. We had uh, Keith Jardine against Wilson Goivea to start off. What did you think of that fight? Uh, I was actually very impressed. Govea is from the American Top Team, uh, which means he's got a strong jiu-jitsu pedigree, and I expected him to be constantly trying for takedowns. He surprised me, though. His uh, tie skills, were his kickboxing was pretty decent. He showed a proficiency using the leg kicks, and it appeared that Jardine was a bit confused in the early in the early going. He didn't seem to have an answer for the strikes. I have a feeling he didn't want to check the kicks too much because he was afraid that they might end up on the ground somewhere where... Govea has probably a bit of an advantage. But Keith Jardine showed tremendous heart and just fought through it. And hearing, hearing that decision, at the, end of, at the end of the three rounds, it was very close, but Keith Jardine did enough, I think, to win that fight. Hell of a fight, though. I agree. Keith, Keith Jardine looked like he'd been in a, uh, a car accident after, and his blood was just all over Wilson Govea. But he did win that fight, and uh, it was a hell of a contest. And Keith Jardine's one of those guys that when he's got blood streaming down his face, it looks like that's what his purpose is in life. Keith Jardine, with that big last long beard he's got, he truly looks like a Nordic warrior. This man could have been a Viking at one time, invading Greenland or something. He just has that, I'm tough. But not with a mean tough. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of malice behind Keith Jardine. But you can tell this is a gentleman who's been in a few scraps in his life, and a little blood is not going to stop him. No. Well, next we had uh, Ed against Kendall, and we covered this a bit, but th- this was just a hell of a fight. Yeah, uh, Ed is... The, uh, to me, the highlight for Ed was seeing his parents, because when you see Ed Herman's parents, you truly can see them. For, you see them for one second, hmm. and you know exactly why Ed Herman is the way he is. And I don't yeah. want to pass judgment on people. I have I have some people in my family, and certain, certain family members are... Let's just say they're not the most reputable people in the world or anything... And they'd be very comfortable with Ed Herman's family. But you can tell Ed Herman comes from a tough family, kind of a lower-class family, and that explains why this man doesn't quit. Because a lot of guys, I think, would have quit. Because Kendall, those triangles he was putting on, I have no idea how Ed Herman had the will to get out of those. And at the same time, you know, Kendall must have been getting frustrated trying submission after submission, and every time he was met with resistance. Just two guys that wouldn't quit, and they just button heads like two uh, you know, billy goats up in the mountains there. Yeah, you okay with uh, both guys getting contracts afterwards? No, and you know, I'm really not. I uh, I know why they're doing it, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, if Dana White wants to take Ed Herman aside in the back and say, here's a six-figure contract, that's perfectly fine with me. We all know that Ed Herman's coming back, but 
the point of the show is that you have to win. You have to be the victor. You come out ahead. And there's got to be some reward to winning the show. All that Kendall got that Ed didn't, I think, was a nice Italian watch. So it kind of defeats the purpose of having the show. Why would anybody need to win the fight if you're going to get rewarded for just having a great fight? Now, I don't want to discourage guys from having great fights. I don't want guys to fight just to win. But at the same time, the viewing audience should be left feeling that there is a reason these guys want to win so bad. Because at the end, if Ed Herman gets a contract, then he really got exactly what Kendall did and he lost. And there has to be some sort of reward for it. That's the whole point of fighting. You have a winner and a loser, and a winner gets something that the loser doesn't. Well, next we had the uh, Randy Couture getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. Not much to say about this, just a very nice ceremony, saw some clips. He got a little trophy, and that was that. Yeah, uh, Randy's a, a very worthy addition to the Hall of Fame, and is, you can tell the UFC wanted to get him into the Hall of Fame as quick as possible because now they can say he's a UFC Hall of Famer. And, hey, I'm not going to argue with Randy Couture being in the Hall of Fame. That man is a true legend in this sport. I think he's the fourth inductee. You uh, you okay with all the other inductees? Yeah, yeah. Hoist Ken and Dan Severn are true pioneers. They should be in any mixed martial arts Hall of Fame. Uh, I mean, obviously, Hoist and Ken and Dan Severn was the first power wrestler in the UFC's history and really brought that to the table. No problem with any of those guys. I mean, if you start inducting Kimo or Emmanuel Yarborough or Keith Hackney, you might have a little arguments. But all the guys they've put in the Hall of Fame so far, those are those guys are legitimate. Uh, UFC does a bit of a better job with their Hall of Fame than the uh, WWE. Yeah, this seems like there's a, a little bit more merit behind it. You're not just Vince McMahon's limousine driver for 20 years. Yeah. We'll see. Well, next we had uh, Michael Bisping against Josh Haynes, and uh, Bisping really really took it to Josh. Josh wouldn't give up, but eventually uh, it got stopped. Not too surprising. A lot of people figured Bisping would go all the way at the beginning of the season. Uh, good fight, too. Yeah, I mean, it was fun fight. Josh, Josh made the fight because he wouldn't quit, but Bisping... I think some guys would have got discouraged if they're in his in his shoes. You, you hit a guy with everything you've got, and sometimes guys shut down. They think, "My gosh, what is it going to take to kill this man? I'm just I'm screwed." But Bisming didn't just try one thing over and over again. He'd mix it up. Mm. He was showed tremendous power. His tie clinch when he'd lock his hands behind Haynes' head, he was throwing him around like literally like a rag doll looks, and it was kind of impressive. And He'd struck well, he'd grown and pounded well, his jiu-jitsu looked slick. Michael Bisbee looked like a legitimate fighter already. He looked like a higher class than you've seen a lot of the Ultimate Fighter guys. But the caveat, of course, is that he's fighting Josh Haynes, and with all due respect to the Team Quest member, he's not an elite-level fighter, and Bisbee in his career has yet to fight anybody that's ever really pressed him or given him problems, so I don't really know where Bisbee is right now. But at the end of the day, he did what an elite-level fighter does. He beat the man thoroughly. If Chuck Liddell had fought Josh Haynes, he would have destroyed him in similar fashion. So Bisping's doing what he needs to do right now. Yeah, when I saw that, he, when um, Bisping had that arm bar on when, uh, I guess, uh, Josh was on his stomach, I was like, good God, I was amazed he didn't give up there. Yeah, he, he, uh, Bisping actually used a modified version of an Oma Plata there, and it was unique. I've never seen that before, and uh, it's, it's very impressive because usually you're 205-pound guys that don't have a strong jiu-jitsu pedigree aren't comfortable trying wacky lucha submissions, but Bisping, to his credit, <laughs> went, went for it. It's very, very, uh, very impressive. Well, back to the strip club for uh, Josh, but I'm positive we'll see him again, although he is the only guy who didn't get a contract, which uh, kind of sucks to be him. 
Yeah, well, he owns a strip club, so I'm not going to cry from too much. There you go. Uh, next, we had an interview with Stefan Bonner, and I only bring this up because I actually watched this uh, bef- after last night's fight against Rashad Evans, and it amused me to no end. Yeah, I mean, I didn't actually. I saw like bits and pieces of it, but uh, I sure really can't say too much about it. Stefan Bonner's a. Uh, he's kind of got. He understands it. I think he's one of those guys, and Rashad Evans is the same way. They know that they're supposed to sell a fight, but they just don't have it in them. It's not their natural personality to be Ric Flair. And so when they try to do it, they seem kind of, it's just a little bit off. If they were, they know they don't want it, they're not supposed to be dry, boring, mixed martial artists, but at the same time, they're forcing it too much the other way. Yep, and uh, then we had Jens Pulver coming back. Were you surprised by this? Yeah, I was. I didn't uh, I didn't see that one coming at all, and that's he's a very welcomed addition to 155-pound division for the UFC, even though, much like uh, Canadian striker Mike Mark Hominick, Jens could easily fight at 145, but... I like having him in, in, in 155. He's a former champion, and he gives the division a little credibility. People can't say, well, this guy hasn't fought anywhere. Because Jen's been over in Pride for the past few years, and he's had some success over there. He lost to Goldman, He lost to Sakurai, but he more than held his own against both men. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's going to do in the UFC. He's, gonna, he's kind of towards the end of his career, I think. and He's closer to the end than he is to the beginning. But uh, Jen's pulled for the hell of a guy. He's got a remarkable story out there. He comes from a ridiculously tough background with some really messed up things that have happened to Jens in his life, and he's come through it, and he's, from all accounts, a wonderful person, and I'm really excited to have Jens in the, in the game. I, I really like having Jens Pulver in the UFC's 155-pound division. All right, main event time, uh, Ken Florian against Sam Stout, and uh, this did not go too long. Kenny took him down and uh, slept on the rear naked choke, and that was about it in about two minutes. Yeah, it was, uh, I thought Stout would win because he last fought against a really talented guy named Spencer Fisher, and he was able to neutralize Fisher's takedowns, and I thought Fisher was a better fighter than Kenny Florian, but Florian got underneath, got the double underhooks, inside trip, and within minutes, I mean, it was really quick, and there was no effort involved, and it wasn't even like he had to trick him with anything. He was obviously going for the rear naked choke, and Kenny Florian pulled it off, and now he looks like a pretty darn good guy at 155 pounds. I don't think he's an elite-level guy, I think if he fights a Jens Pulver or a Sean Shirk, who's going to be a monster at that weight, then he's going to be in trouble. But Kenny Florian is uh, a, a guy you can definitely put in there with guys, and I think he's going to give him a lot of trouble. He's a tough guy, and he's got a wide variety of skills. He's, Like I said, he's not the toughest, the most skilled guy, but he's going to give a good fight every time. I like Kenny Florian. Good, good job to Ken. Yeah. All right. Well, we had a little extra time. So we had uh, Matt Hamill against Jesse Forbes, and uh, Matt's striking seemed to improve quite a bit from his last fight on uh, The Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, when I watched it, my very first thought was this is exactly what Randy Couture looked like when he first started. It, it was almost a carbon copy. He would get in, uh, Greco tie up with him and do inside dirty boxing with the uppercuts and throw a few knees. On the ground, it's tough to judge Matt because he's, he's very young in this sport and people want to give him a lot of shit. I'm sorry, a lot of crap, I should say. Uh, swear all you want. It's not all right, you want to give him a lot of motherfucking shit. There you go. Because... This is the problem, though. you got young guys who are just starting out in the sport, and every flaw he has has been exposed on national TV. Well, everybody, when they start out, has flaws. They're, if you don't have flaws when you start out, or if they're not exposed when you're first beginning in MMA, you're not training correctly. You need to be exposed every time you're training. I've always been a big believer in the philosophy that you put yourself in the worst possible position in training so that you're better at that when you get in the fight. So Matt, poor Matt is up on national TV training, so everybody's seeing certain of his weaknesses exposed, and now they all think, well, this guy sucks. He doesn't suck. He's still learning. 
and he showed he's tr- improved a great deal. He was a lot more disciplined from the show to his fight here against Jesse. Of course, Jesse Forbes is not a very good fighter, but Matt beat him. He beat him in the first round. Uh, he's 29 years old, though, so it's a little late to be starting out. But, hey, Randy Couture fought until he's 40, and that would give Matt 10 years to train, and I don't think he's a very hard liver or anything. So Matt has got a lot of upside, and I really hope the UFC brings him along slowly because he's got a great story there with the being deaf and everything, and he seems like a really nice guy. I'm uh, happy to see Matt Hamill fight and get a win. So do you think uh, a Matt or a Bisping could be a major force anytime soon, or is it going to take a while for these guys to come along? It depends on how fast they learn. Um, wrestlers like Matt have tended to actually pick up mixed martial arts pretty quickly. For whatever reason, I think it's just the background and the hard training they have allows them to adapt to the mixed martial arts, the rigors of MMA. So he could be good and with that kind of wrestling pedigree, with that strong of a base, he's going to be tough for a lot of guys right off the bat. Someone like Rashad Evans would probably, I mean, I think Rashad Evans would have a very tough time with Matt Hamill right now. And, and not, obviously, Rashad's not a great fighter or anything, mm. but that still shows you the level where Matt is at right now. Bisping is kind of different in that I don't think Bisping's going to get any better than he is right now. I think his skills are as good as they're going to get. Now he just needs to test himself against the best. If they hold off on Bisping, I think he could be the UFC lightweight, light heavyweight champion in two years, mm. only because Chuck Liddell's getting older and Chuck's going to be due to kind of come down. And it's not like the UFC is injecting Vondelay Silva or Mauricio Shogun Hula or anything like that into the division. So they could bring it along and kind of pull the wool over everyone's eyes. Um, but Bisping's either real deal, I think. I don't know if he's going to beat Chuck Liddell, but if he doesn't, that's not a big knock on him because very few men ever have beat Chuck Liddell. Hmm. All right, well, this brings us to uh, yesterday's show. No real reason for a show, just an intro to Blade. So, hey, more free MMA. Fine by me. In the uh, opener, we had uh, Mark Hominick against uh, Jorge Gurgel. Yeah, George right. Gurgel is the, uh, Gurgel. the, the uh, Ultimate Fighter Season 2. He fought at 170 there, but his natural weight is 155. He's Rich Franklin's jiu-jitsu coach. He's a very good, he's an excellent jiu-jitsu guy, while truly a world-class jiu-jitsu practitioner. In the striking, he was going up against Mark Hominick, and Hominick is a really good striker. He's not world-class like Joe Rogan said. He's, Mark Hominick is not a K-1-level striker or anything like that. The only guy in the UFC who's like that is Dwayne Ludwig, and he's going to get He's just lost, actually, I think, on the last strike force show. But he's, Mark Hominick is a very, very good striker, and George Gurgel more than held his own against him. He's got a weakness on his takedowns. But if people want to write off George Gurgel, go ahead. But this dude's very well-rounded, and with the right matchups, I mean – I would really, really like to see George Gurgel fight Kenny Florian right now. I think that would be an excellent fight, and I really hope the UFC makes it because George Gurgel's got very – he's very well-rounded everywhere. And Mark Hominick, I can't take anything away from him. He beat Eve Edwards last time, then he beat George Gurgel. He's going out there, he's winning. He fights a conservative style. Mm. He doesn't expose himself, which is very smart for a striker like him, and he knows enough wrestling to prevent takedowns. I, I, Mark Hominick's get he's good, a hell of a fighter, and I would really like to see him and Jens Pulver matched up at, in the next fight. I think that'd be a great elimination belt. The winner of that fights uh, whoever else they want to put up there for the 155 pound title. Hmm. Hominick is fast. I'll say that for him. Yeah, yeah he's a fast guy, he's a striker, and a guy like Jens Pulver, who's got a uh, low-level pro boxing career a pedigree, if you will, is uh, it's a great. That's an excellent matchup. I think those two could really have good fireworks. Hmm. Yeah, it was an okay fight. Not uh, not the best, but good enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, up next we had Rashad Evans versus Stefan Bonner. Rashad basically slammed him about 80 times during the fight. 
Couldn't really do anything on the ground. Tried stuff. Nothing really worked. I don't think Stefan did much of anything except um, a spinning kick, and uh, Rashad got the decision. Yeah, it was. Um, it's a fight where Rashad won the fight, and he clearly won the fight. But at the same time, I think people watch would walk away saying, "Well, I think Stefan's got more skills than Rashad." It's just that Rashad's one skill is so much better than Stefan's other skills that he was able to use that to get the win. Um, Rashad has no idea on the ground. He looks completely befuddled. He didn't even. He wouldn't even open up for a little light ground and pound. Uh, the basics that wrestlers are taught to bring a guy up against a cage and work short elbows. Rashad didn't even try to do that. On his feet, he would. It seemed like he knew to throw a combination, throw a combination, but he didn't. He was just throwing it. He wasn't reacting to what Stefan was doing. Where Stefan would step back and throw left hooks to counter on him, but Rashad he got the W. And Stefan Bond is a good fighter, but uh, if Rashad meets somebody who's a really good jiu-jitsu guy, not just an average guy like Stefan, he's going to be in problem, in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I'm no MMA expert, and I actually just figured out how to score a fight last night when they explained it. But one of the judges rated this a draw, and I'm like, how? Yeah, I don't. I've been trying to figure that. I mean, I know that you you can have a ten ten round. Draw rounds are they're discouraged, but they are allowed under Nevada State Athletic Commission regulations. I don't know where they saw the draw. There's been far more fights recently. You could uh, the Kendall Grove and Ed Herman fight was far closer than this one. Some of the round, the third round of Grove and Herman was way closer than any of the rounds, and Stephen Bonner and Rashad Evans. So I don't know where they're getting a draw. If you want to call like either round two or round three of Evans and Bonner a draw, that's not that's okay. But they should at least be consistent and start calling draws for other rounds, which are clearly more close. I don't know what's going on with this. Joe Rogan really went off. Oh yes, he, he did. To, he wants to shoot Darby Shirley or whatever, and that was uh, that's kind of crazy. But uh, there, there's there's serious problems with mixed martial arts judging right now. You have guys who spent the past 20 years judging boxing, now they're covering. MMA, and as I talked about on the Five Star Radio Show on F4WOnline.com, it's a, it's akin to having an American football judge referee go out and call a soccer game in Europe. Just because both involved running up and down the field with a ball and trying to get it over a line doesn't mean that they're really related at all. Mm. And there's, they just need to get more, they need to get people in there who know mixed martial arts, get somebody who understands that just because the guy's on the bottom doesn't mean he's losing by default. Mm-hmm. Do you think this will be a major problem, or do you think as as uh, MMA grows, people they'll get more educated people in uh, judging positions? I think that they inevitably they'll get more educated folks in. I think, but it, and it's not a problem right now insofar as the judging is consistent. Everybody in the fights in the UFC knows that if you get the takedown and you're on top, the judge is going to score that very very heavy, and that if you're on the bottom, you essentially have to finish the guy to get any credit for that. And that's fine if that's what they're going to judge. If they want to judge it essentially with Sancho. Sancho is a uh, mixed martial art where it's all kickboxing with takedowns and no groundwork. And that's kind of how they judge mixed martial arts right now. It's fine if they're consistent, but if they're changing the judging criteria from fight to fight, then you have a problem because fighters don't know what they're supposed to do. Hmm. All right. Well, we're uh, moving ahead of schedule. So they aired the earlier Rob McDonald against Christian Rothermel fight, and uh, McDonald completely schooled him, very sweet ending, an arm bar, lightning quick, and I don't think we'll see Mr. Rothermel again anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think so either. I kind of like Christian, because he's, he's got a personality, and he's not trying. He's just got, he's just, he's from New Orleans, and people from New Orleans tend to just be a little more animated. McDonald's a Canadian, he's a solid wrestler, and an okay striker, and an okay jiu-jitsu guy. I don't see anything special, though. He, he got tapped by Brad Imes in a triangle choke once. I mean, that's 
doesn't speak very well about your submission defense, although he did tear his, I believe he popped his bicep in that fight, so I'm not going to hold that against him too much. But he's never really shown, struck me as being overly impressive. I have talked with him in the past, though, and he's a very nice guy, and I think he gets it. He's trying to be, he wants to learn from what I've gathered, but I just don't really see a ton of upside. There's guys that are better wrestlers and better strikers, and they've been doing it just as long as he has, and I'd, I'd, I'd rather see somebody like a Matt Hamill go out there because I think he's got more upside than uh, McDonald does at this point. All right. Well, it was quote-unquote main event time as Anderson Silva just knocked the fuck out of Chris Lieben in 49 seconds. Uh, fight probably should have been stopped a bit earlier than that. It probably should have been stopped during the introductions, but um, no, just a destruction, and yeah. Yeah, that was uh, it was almost scary how yeah. one-sided that was because Chris Lieben is a good fighter and he has an incredible chin and Anderson Silva it seemed like I mean I went through today and I tried to count it up I didn't do it officially but I'm going to later but I think he landed somewhere around 20 out of 25 punch uh, strikes clean I mean I've never seen anybody connect that hard be- that with that higher connect percentage before in mixed martial arts or boxing I mean it was almost as uh, consistent as if you were hitting a heavy bag and he was teeing up on Lieben, and it's not like Anderson Silva hits incredibly hard. It's just that when you get hit by a punch, if the next punch is hitting you in the face by the time you realize the first one already hit you, you're screwed. You don't have any time to react. And Lieben just seemed totally caught off guard. The first two jabs, boom, boom. And I think that threw Lieben off his game right then and there. And at 49 seconds for the official time, like you said, it could have been over in two seconds. I think at 25 seconds in, they, they could have legitimately stopped, stopped the fight. Uh, Anderson Silva looks like an incredible fighter, 155 pounds, uh, sorry, 185 pounds. And people have to realize that he's not a natural 185-pound guy. He, he started out his career at 170 pounds. He was the very first man, actually, to ever give Hayato Sakurai a defeat. So he's actually moved up in weight in his life. So it's not like he's cut down like uh, Rich Franklin has or somebody like that. So that should give you an idea of how impressive his skills are, that 185 pounds is not something he's had to bulk up to that in, in his career. Now, how far do you think he can go in the UFC? He could he could be the UFC middleweight champion. I absolutely believe he could be. Uh, actually, as, as long as about a year ago, I was going through in my head, and I was trying to figure out which 185-pound guys are free agents that Rich Franklin could fight. And this kind of guy like Dan Henderson or somebody who's tied up with pride. And uh, Anderson Silva's guy came to over and over again is, this guy could be the one that could beat Rich Franklin because he's a better striker, and I think that he could hit Franklin so many times standing before Rich realizes that he's a better striker. I think Rich could beat him if he goes in there ahead of time thinking to himself, okay, I'm going to get in close, I'm going to tie up and ground the pound and fight a conservative fight. But if he goes out there and thinks that he's equal to Anderson Silva on their feet, by the time he, he figures out that he's not, he's going to probably be seeing stars. Well, with the main event being over rather rapidly, uh, we got to see Luke Kumo against Jonathan Goulet, and this was a hell of a fight. Luke Kumo is like a hero to nerds everywhere. He's got that, I call it like the inner nerd anger. He, mm. Something's happened to him in his life. He's been the butt of a few jokes, I think, and he <laughs> doesn't want to quit, and he wants to fight. This is a uh, excellent fight. Jonathan Goulet got the victory. It's not a bad decision, but there was some questionable scoring because mm. two judges had that 30-27, to 27, which means that they didn't give Luke Kumo the second round, which I think is a travesty because he dropped Goulet one time very solid, another time pretty good, and then he almost caught him in a guillotine. And if that doesn't get you a 10-9 round minimum, probably a 10-8, I really don't know what will. 
again, it comes back to the issue of there's just a problems with the way that the Mass State Athletic Commission judges score fights, and I don't know what they're looking for anymore at all. It's Kumo knocked him down. That usually gives you a 10-8 right off the bat, mm. and he continued to dominate, and he, he came damn close to tapping with that guillotine. If you want to say that it was a 10-9 because Goulet worked harder and fought back in the round, that's fine, but no way that I think Jonathan Goulet won that second round, but two judges thought that he did, and there's something weird about that. But yeah. hell, hell of a fight, and all, the, all due respect to Jonathan Goulet, who had to redeem himself a little bit because his last time in the UFC he was a victim of the fastest knockout in UFC history mm. at the hands of Dwayne Ludwig, who knocked him out with one punch. So good props to Jonathan Goulet. He did what he had to, and it was an excellent fight, and I really hope both guys come back and get another chance to fight. I don't think Luke's had a bad fight that we've seen, including uh, Ultimate Fighter. No, he, he hasn't. He's, he, and he's got that style where he's always going to have good fights because his ground game is just good enough that he can give guys problems but not so good that he can tie them up and neutralize them. And on his feet, he's an unconventional striker, and he's, he's willing and able to strike and throw and get hit and hit back. So he tends to have good fights. Um, I'd really like to see him against Spencer Fisher, even though Fisher's a 155-pound guy now. He's fought at 170. They've got a very similar kind of balls-out and balls-of-the-wall style. Uh, anybody who wants to st- stand there and strike is somebody that uh, Luke Kumo should fight. And I hope the UFC keeps him around for a while because he has – he has entertaining fights, and sometimes when you get an undercard, you don't need to have guys that are always going to be going towards the championship. Sometimes you just need to have guys that put on a good show. All right, well, that concludes those two big shows. UFC's got a pay-per-view coming up um, just, uh, was it, 10 days after the Wednesday show. It's UFC 61. You just want to get your thoughts on the top two matches. We have Arlovsky, Sylvia 3. Uh, who do you think is going to take that one? Um, Ar- Arlovsky should beat him. He's a He's a better fighter. He has more skills than Sylvia. Uh, mentally, I think Arlovski is a little—he'd be a little more trepid than he has in the past because he got caught and he got caught on something that wasn't big. So that's going to play into his psyche of I can get hit at any time and lose. I have to fight perfect in order to win. So I could make him a little more cautious than he has in the past. But I expect Andre Arlovski to win this fight. He's just a better fighter. Yeah, I expect that too. And uh, then we have the big one. It's Tito Ken too. Who are you picking? Um, Got a big Tito. Um, Ken's an old dude, and Tito's got a bum knee, but I don't think he's going to go in there in a condition where he couldn't actually fight. He knows what Ken has, and since that time, I don't think Ken's gotten better. As we saw from the Ultimate Fighter, I think that's kind of how Ken Shamrock trained. He seems stuck in the past, and I get why he is, because in his day, he was a very successful fighter doing what he did. And you kind of get in the mentality of, hey, I won, and I'm going to keep doing what I did. I'm going to live by this sword and die by this sword. But Tito should be able, he's a far superior wrestler. He's going to get into the ground and ground and pound him for three rounds. And I expect Tito to get a decision victory. I think this is it for Ken? Uh, yeah. Um, unless they bring out Randy Couture for like a Legends fight or something, I don't think the interest is going to be there from people. People like Ken Shamrock a little bit. And I think he lost some fans from the Ultimate Fighter because he mm-hmm. kind of looked like an out-of-touch dude. But I think people still like him. And I think America has seen what happened to Muhammad Ali, and we don't need to see that happen to Ken Shamrock. We don't mm-hmm. need to just trot some guy out there just to see him get beat on after a while. Yep, time for Ken to ride off in a yellow Camaro into the sunset. Yeah, and Ken could have he could be a very successful career as a, as a color guy for the UFC. He's mm-hmm. got a personality, and he knows the sport. He'd be an excellent choice. He's somebody that... Fans could, uh, I think they'd respect his opinion on things, but he shouldn't be fighting any longer. Not after, uh, whatever, it's July the 8th or 9th or whatever. Yep. 
Well, I uh, believe this weekend we have the uh, next round of the Pride Openweight Division. You and Todd Martin had gone over this card a while back. We'll just uh, go over the matches real quick, see who you're sticking with. We have uh, Hidehiko Yoshida against Mirko Krokop. You had gone with Krokop. You sticking with that? Yeah, I'm going to stick with Krokop. Um, Yoshida can make it interesting, but Mirko's been in there with really good ground guys in the past, and with the exception of Nogueira, I'm pretty sure none of them have tapped him out. So, and he's just—he's a powerful dude. He's—he's he's far stronger than his size would probably lead you to believe. But Krokop's a very powerful guy. And he's extremely athletic, and he should just be able to knock out Yoshida probably sometime late in the first or midway through the second round. All right, then we have Antonio Nogueira against Fabricio Verdum, and you went with Nogueira. Yep, and I'm going to stick with that. Uh, they're both good at the, on the ground, but Nogueira is far superior standing. And Nogueras has got more real-world mixed martial arts experience. He's a tough dude. He's used to getting hit, and he doesn't mind it. And I expect him on the ground to neutralize one another, and on the feet, Nogueras got an advantage. So I think Nogueras going to win. All right. Then we have Josh Barnett against Mark Hunt. And you went with Barnett. Yeah. If um, if Barnett is trained and he doesn't gas, he should win. He's a better fighter. He's a good striker and a good wrestler and a good submission guy. And for my money, I think he has the best transitions in the mixed martial arts today. And by transitions, I mean he goes from ground and pound to submissions to wrestling to striking better than anybody. His his mind seems very adept at adapting. And as long as he's not, he doesn't gas, he should be able to beat Mark Hunt. Every fight Mark Hunt's had has gone to the ground. Mirko Krokop took him down. Siyoshi Kosaka did. Uh, Mark uh, Hidehiko Yoshida got him down. Dan Bobish got Mark Hunt down. So everybody can get Mark Hunt down. Hunt's a tough dude with lots of power, and he's na- he's a natural to mixed martial arts game. But Josh Barnett's a top five heavyweight for a reason, and I expect Josh to win this fight probably by submission. All right, and we have Kaz Fujita against Vanderlei Silva, and you went with uh, Kaz Fujita. Yep, and I'm going to stick with Fujita. He's bigger than Silva. He's a powerful wrestler, and he can't be hurt. And it's it's, it's good. I think it could be very si- Fujita is very similar to Ricardo Arona, except for he's. Got a better skull. He he literally can't be hurt. You, I'm seriously, I am serious when I think you could take a two by four and hit Fujita in the forehead and it wouldn't knock him out. He's that tough. And Silva is not a power puncher, anyways. He tends to overwhelm people with his strikes. It's not one punch that knocks guys out from Silva. It's four or five or six. And in order to do that, he's gonna have to get close. And Fujita is a very good wrestler. He's a high level, uh, nationally credentialed wrestler in Japan. And I expect him to be able to take Silva down and keep him down. It'll be could be an ugly fight, but I still think uh, Kazuki Fujita should be able to take the fight. So we'll get one Japanese uh, representative in the final four. Yeah, and I was surprised that Pride matched up this way. Everybody expected them to do Fujita versus Yoshida to guarantee someone, but maybe they're rolling the dice and praying that they can get both of them in the final four and get them both in the finals or something. I, uh, that would be... I don't expect it to happen, but. No. So who do you think is going to take the whole thing? Um, I'm going with either Josh Barnett or Noguera, depending on how the uh, the final four brackets are, are aligned. If those two are on opposite ends, I expect them to meet in the finals. And then I would go with Noguera over Barnett because I think his conditioning will be better. But if uh, Noguera and Barnett meet in the opening fight of the final four, Barnett could easily take Noguera down and nullify his submissions and use uh, conservative ground and pound to win. And then whoever else needs on the other side could uh, be facing a very tough Josh Barnett. But I'm still going to go with Noguera overall because he's won every other tournament. If he would have won every other 
uh, heavyweight tournament they had if it wasn't for a guy named Theodore. Mm. And until somebody else beats Nogueira, I think he's the second in line to the throne right there. He's the vice president of the heavyweight division, if you will. All right, well, that's Pride in UFC. Uh, do you follow the IFL, WFA, all these groups springing up, or do you just concentrate on the big boys, so to speak? Um, I'm familiar enough with the WFA. I kind of know what they with their card coming up. I wasn't sure. I heard something that Matt Lindley might be out and he was going to be replaced, but I wasn't sure with his fight with Quentin Jackson. I'm not 100% on that, so I'm still under the impression that it's Quentin versus Matt Lindley. The IFL, I followed a little bit, but to be honest, it's on Fox Sports Net, and that's an erratic time. Mm. I live in Chicago, and we get a lot of preemptions for sports, so I don't really know what's going on. And since it's taped in months in advance, it seems, or weeks in advance at least, I have a tough time keeping up with debate with what's going on. And it doesn't seem like any of those, the fighters in the company are world-class guys anyway, so it has no real effect on the official rankings in the top ten or anything like that. Do you think that group's just going to go nowhere? Or? Yeah, I think the IFL is a it's a money pit right now. It's Fox Sports Net is not a good station to be on. People think it is, but it's not. Unless you're getting the time for free, and even then, what's the point? They're not building up towards pay per views. They're building up towards some mythical team idea with teams that nobody cares about. You can't just call a team the Chicago Bears and then never have the Chicago Bears play in Chicago. We need to see the Bears playing Soldier Field every week. If they always played down in St. Louis or San Francisco, I wouldn't care about the Chicago Bears. They wouldn't be my football team. So until they actually can somehow make it so these teams are identified with the market and they have independent owners who compete against each other like a true league would do, it's never going to be real. It's just going to be a group, of, a stable of guys against one another. Now, the only way it can have legs is in the future is if they get a better TV. And instead of trying to market the team's uh, city by city, they just say we're going to have the American top team versus Team Militich versus Team Quest, something like that. We have real teams, not just these teams that are thrown together with a bunch of guys who aren't teammates anyways. Hmm. What about the WFA? you think they have any chance? No, none at all. They don't have TV. They're throwing a lot of money around. And it, the, the key to the game is getting TV. If you don't have TV, you're wasting your time. You can throw all the big names you want. You can get all the stars from Pride you want. Pride doesn't do any pay-per-view business right now in the United States, and they've had a several-year head start on the WFA, and they've got better fights than the WFA does. I don't see why running the show in the United States is going to make a big difference. It's If I'm not living in the city where the show is taking place, I have to watch it on pay-per-view, so it doesn't matter if it's coming to me from Tokyo or if it's coming to me from Los Angeles. It's the same thing if you're watching it on pay-per-view. And without the TV to hype the shows and get people into it, because the fight game is not about who the fighters are. It's not about how great the fight is. It's about how much you can convince the public about what they're going to see. It's all a hype game. It's all smoke and mirrors. And without TV to do that, you're just wasting money right now. These guys, whoever's the money behind it, it's just a money mark. And it's a great card. It looks really good on paper. Boss Rutten versus Chemo is great. But Boss Rutten hasn't been relevant in the United States as a fighter since, like, UFC 22. This is Frank Shamrock was fighting back then, and Frank Shamrock isn't. I mean, I guess he is fighting now again, but now, and unless these guys are expecting to live and die on the local house that they're going to make, similar to how Strike Force is operating, I don't see what the point is. All right, and what's coming up in the world of MMA in the coming months? We know uh, Pride has the open weight finals. What about UFC? Any, I mean, some matches that look good for diehard fans. Maybe not the big stars they've had a run of this year, but what's coming up? 
Well, I, let's see. I know they obviously have Chuck and uh, Hanato Babalu Sobral is headlining in August. I also believe in August they're going to have Carl Parisian versus Diego Sanchez in a welterweight elimination match. The winner will get to fight the welterweight champion, and that fight will be in September, I think. I think they just announced that. And that's a fight that diehards and I think mainstream people are going to be kind of interested in. That's George St. Pierre versus Matt Hughes. Mm. That's whoever, if Matt Hughes beats George St. Pierre, he's only got B.J. Penn left, and if he beats B.J. Penn then, then Matt Hughes is officially out of guys to fight. He will have cleaned out the division to the point where anybody that are putting up against him, it's kind of a joke. And if George St. Pierre beats Matt Hughes, well, then we've witnessed the, the crowning of a new era of mixed martial arts because George St. Pierre is about as well-rounded as they get. He can do everything. I'm really looking forward to that fight a lot, and hopefully the, they can get B.J. Penn back into the mix and he can fight whoever wins that fight because Penn obviously beat Hughes, and he came within a whiskers uh, width of beating uh, George St. Pierre. So those three could put on some pretty entertaining television. I don't think it's going to do the buy rates that uh, Hoyce Gracie and Ken Shamrock have been pumping up, but it could do. I think it's going to be pretty interesting because I believe the mainstream public sees Matt Hughes as a legitimate star now. So we got that coming up, and I'm pretty sure Pride has their um, middleweight tournament going on. A lot of guys that aren't really well known, but you got Dan Henderson and some of these other guys in in the tournament, so that's always good fun. And I also want to point out that on the next UFC pay-per-view, there's an excellent fight at 155 pounds between Eve Edwards and Joe Stevenson, and that is a phenomenal fight at 155 pounds. Joe Stevenson's a very good fighter, and Eve Edwards is an incredible fighter. They're both coming off of, uh, you could say, upset losses. I think they're both expected to win their last fight, but now they're matching up against one another anyways. For a diehard, a hardcore fan, it's an excellent fight on paper, and I'm really looking forward to that one, almost as much as I am to uh, something like Ken and Pito. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up, I think. Uh, you have a lot to plug, so why don't you get to it? All right, you know, it's funny. Most of my time, my my short, pathetic career here, I haven't had a ton to plug, just pretty much my column, but we did just start the debut show. We had two t- test runs of what has now been officially christened the Five Star Radio Show, it's me and most of the time my younger brother, Brian. Uh, we try to keep it kind of short, half hour, 45 minutes at the most. We're not going to be three, four-hour radio shows that kind of go on forever. And I'm not talking about anybody specifically, just certain radio shows do that. Like Dr. And Keith. It's, yeah, that we'll call it basically. Dr. Keith's show goes on for 15 freaking hours. Man, that, Dr. Keith's been plugging his mustache. He actually started growing at the beginning of one show, and by the end of the show he had a full uh, Magnum PI-looking mustache. Yes, we had but, him on uh, Tuesday, and with that show, there are six hours of Dr. Keith audio this week. Yeah, Dr. Keith is a workhorse. That man, I don't think he sleeps, and he's always wacky. I saw him at the Ring of Honor show last Saturday. He's a tremendous guy. He's a great guy in person. He's the same in person as he is on the on, uh, message boards and on the radio show. Dr. Keith is a wonderful human being. I have my huge gay man crush on him. I think he but, challenged you to a fight, too, on the show. I'll have to go back and listen. Ah, uh, that's great. Maybe we'll see the IFL. Yeah, me and me and Dr. Keith will fight at the IFL. That fight, they'll have just as much interest as most of the fights that motion puts on. But uh, like I said, uh, starting a uh, five-star radio show. It's on FOWonline.com. It's for members only right now. Uh, it's still in the nascent stages, so it's, we have a little bumps and bruises here and there. But this week we have a tremendous guest lined up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil it. I want people to listen to it. We, were managed, we managed to book a guest that nobody – in mixed martial arts and pro wrestling radio history has ever had. Our very first guest was none other than the Lord Almighty himself. We got God wow. as a guest on our show. He was our big guest. 
10 minutes of me interviewing God on his thoughts of everything from uh, the, his thoughts on the United States of America to Vince McMahon to Degeneration X. We have God on the radio show this week. It's, if I do say so myself, it is, it's, it's a perfect interview. Because would you expect anything less from the Almighty? I didn't think so. So yeah, we have uh, interviews with God. We have wacky skits. We have crazy commercials. We play some of the goofy songs that the members on the F4W online message board, the best message board on the Internet, create. Uh, that's pretty much my main endeavor right now. Obviously, my columns are always available at F4WOnline.com and WrestlingObserver.com, as well as MySpace.com slash truth. And that's everything, I think. All right, I so go, uh, go sign up to F4W Online. Don't be a cheapskate. And uh, tons of stuff there, including a brand-new radio show. I definitely want to thank you for having on. This was tremendous. You completely carried me through uh, 45 minutes of MMA talk. Oh, not a problem at all. I love to be in here, Joe. All right, good times. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, we have a full archive of shows at thecupsfan.com. If you like what you hear, please spread the word. Oh, and I apologize to Tom Feely for screwing up his name on the last show. I apologize profusely. And uh, that's going to do it. Uh, we'd love to have you on again sometime to discuss more MMA in the future. Oh, sure, not a problem at all. I'd love to be. Anytime, anytime you need me, just uh, give me a holler. All right, any uh, final words? Uh, no, that's it. Just uh, hope nobody gets uh, burned out from all the mixed martial arts coming up because you could very easily do. Pace yourself, people. Don't do it all at once, and uh, you'll get through it eventually, trust me, because in two years, this is all going to be gone. It's not going to be this much of mixed martial arts in a two-week span ever again. All right, and watch Blade, everyone. So uh... yeah, you got to watch Blade, folks. Yeah. If you're not watching Blade, you're just not living. All right, uh, thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back real soon with another show, and I will talk to you soon.